Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now radio check. Now radio check for order. Half hour is to go. 50,000 watts. Oh, that sound is beautiful. This is Bradley J. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. All right, 1208 on WBZ Radio. It is not Bradley J. Tonight it is Nicole Davis filling in for Bradley J. here on J Talking. Bradley, I believe he's still somewhere in Italy. He's been traipsing around Italy. Saw that he was posting on Facebook that he went to Sicily. Had a bit of a mixed time. Bradley J. coming back on Tuesday night. So again, it's Nicole Davis out of the newsroom here in the talk studio. And with me tonight, I've got Dan McNichol to start things off, best-selling author and infrastructure advocate. Hi, Dan. Hello, Nicole. Well, thanks for being in with me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me in these beautiful studios. Isn't it fantastic? It really is. Um, you know, we've got so much to talk about tonight. I mean, you have written several books, including one on asphalt. We're going to talk about that because <laughs> I, I am fascinated by that. Uh, but really, you know, let's let's just jump right into it. I mean... Dan, there's really no two ways about it. America's infrastructure is in need of serious help. It really is. I mean, uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers giving the nation a D plus earlier this year, uh, saying that we need to spend nearly four and a half trillion bucks by 2025 to get our infrastructure back on track. And that's that's a bit of a serious task, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it is. And, and we are that failing student. A D plus is when I went to school, wasn't a passing grade. And it's across all the categories of infrastructure. There's some are maybe a little bit better than others, but almost every single category, and we're talking about the, the grid, we're talking about airports, we're talking about ports and waterways and highways, we're talking about drinking water systems and dams and levees, everything is aged out and in need of, I would say, more than just repair. Uh, you know, we need vision for the future, but we also need to, to make some serious serious investments in our in our infrastructure across the board. Well, that's something that was interesting to me. You know, when people say infrastructure, I don't necessarily know if they realize just how deep it really goes. We're talking, you know, our public schools. We're talking rivers like the Charles. Exactly. We're talking, you know, I mean, drinking water in public places. We're talking about our dams. So, I mean, this is not just the potholes in the roads. I mean, those are important, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, you know, we're not just talking our roads and bridges. This is just an overwhelming issue. How did we get here? That's a very good question. And, and, and we, we, we are a very wealthy nation. We have remarkable systems. Our systems are, and often, often they, are, they are the most advanced systems in the world. But to stay competitive, to remain ahead, to to be able to influence the world for better, the United States must invest in its infrastructure 
so that it has the ability to go around the world and make make the world a better place. And and it's 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 almost like the, our foreign policy. The best foreign policy begins at home, is a mm-hmm. is a phrase and a title of a couple of books. And it 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 really resonates with me as I've gone down this path. Uh, I started off looking at infrastructure as just roads, like most people do, through yeah. their windshield. And I realized I was writing and living and obsessing about roads and sometimes bridges, but that was only those were only two categories of 16 categories that oh. the American Society of Civil Engineers considers infrastructure. And they're the same ones that gave us that D-plus report card grade. 16? I mean, which ones have we missed so far? Well, <laughs> we covered a few here. I know, and I've memorized them, but there, it's the grid, mm-hmm. which is... Power, but I also include, you know, those are pipelines. That's wind, and that could be solar, but it could also be oil. It could be mm-hmm. uh, all of our communication lines, roads, bridges, airports, heavy rail, transit, waterways, ports. Ports and waterways are separate. So you look at the port of Boston; it's different than the the waterways, the inland waterways along the United States eastern coast. Mm-hmm. Drinking water, wastewater, dams, levees, solid waste, hazardous waste material. Wow. And then, just like as you mentioned, maybe most important, but often at the end of the list, are schools and parks. Stuff we really take for granted. I know, and parks. Like you think, well, trees and lakes and Who hates rivers. Trees? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But you don't, you don't realize how much infrastructure goes into a simple park. Right. You know, boat ramps and walkways and gates and roads and. Benches and so exactly. on. Exactly. So you can't forth. get into a park to enjoy it unless you have a, a path to it. Exactly. And one that won't, you know, give me a, a flat tire while you're driving. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, so you would think that this is an issue that most people would come together on. Of course, we all benefit from having roads in good shape. Our kids benefit from having schools that are, you know, standing in one piece and have air conditioning and potable water. So, how has this become such a divisive issue? I, I you know, I was wondering that myself before I, I started looking at all infrastructure as one subject. I've, I've come to realize that our failing infrastructure is due to our, our divisive nature right now. Our, our government is divided. Mm-hmm. And if, if government is what we do together, infrastructure is what we build together, and we cannot build these remarkable state-of-the-world uh, state-of-the-art, world-class systems if we do not come back together and meet. And that's why I'm so excited and so hopeful about infrastructure as, a, as an area to, to be focused on. Yeah. I think it's, it's what could bring us back together as a country, solidify the, the base of what is all of us and, and get us down a path towards fighting climate change. Got a great guest in the studio right now, infrastructure advocate and author Dan McNichol. We've been talking about... The fact that America's infrastructure is kind of uh, lacking in need of some help. And um, we talked, or actually I saw you speak at the House of the Seven Gables. Was that a couple months ago? It was, was, yeah. A couple months ago. And you were talking about this amazing road trip across the country. You took it back in 2013, trying to call attention to this problem. Uh, You showed a great short film. So here's a quick snippet on that. America's roadways are riddled with potholes. These holes... They're a result of broken politics. In America, government, it's what we do together. And infrastructure, that's what we build together. But in America, our infrastructure is as old and rusty and energy defunct as my 1949 Detroit lead sled. 
America's first lowrider, a Hudson Commodore 8. Seeking the hearts and minds of Americans, I set out on a two-year odyssey, a 20,000-mile long road trip. Method acting, the part of broken infrastructure, I steered my rolling metaphor, named Mrs. Martin, westward out of Boston, in hopes of circumnavigating the nation's lower 48. To keep the show on the road, my mechanic, my teacher, my friend, Dr. Per Christensen joined me. Together we drove into the soul of the world's greatest built world. In the end, we found it bold and beautiful, but ultimately broken. All right, so how does one decide to buy a classic? I'm, I'm talking really classic car at this point, and and just drive out on the highway. How did you plan this? What brought you to this? I, well, thank you for asking, and I, I love that that piece. Thank thanks for playing sure, that. Sure. Uh, that was done at Skywalker Studios too, by the way, out in California by okay. a guy named Casey Langfeld. He's a great guy. Okay. But the 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 road trip, Nicole. It started with bright, shiny, happy cars. And I was promoting my book called The Roads That Built America. It's about the U.S. interstate system, about Dwight Eisenhower's initiative. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote that book in the early 2000s, I thought, you know, what the heck? It would be fun as could be to get an old car when I when this book gets published and just drive across the country and kind of celebrate it. My publisher's like, no, actually, that's a road trip. That's a book tour. <laughs> that's well, so we're going to put some organization around that. Yeah. So that, that was the fun of it. But I went out and bought an old car for the occasion. And I thought, what, what better than a 1950s car to celebrate the interstate system that began in the 50s? Sure. And that was a Hudson. The Hudson led me to this remarkable guy, Dr. Pear Christensen, mm -hmm. who's a neighbor of yours in Brighton. Yes. And Pear was listed in this book. The guy sold me the car out in Ohio. I was driving back to Boston. He said, oh, you can make it back to Boston. Well, uh, 10 minutes later, the car broke down. He wasn't returning phone calls. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I looked in the glove box, and there's this, this book of all the Hudson members in the United States because this car is called a Hudson. It was mm -hmm. an actual car back in the, back in the 40s. And 50s, and Pear was listed as someone who would help. So I called Pear. Pear's like, "Okay, we, we can uh, get your car on the road for your for your book tour." Mm -hmm. He helped me for for weeks and weeks, and we finally got the car ready. Right before my trip, I'm like, "What do I owe you? A cash check?" He said, "Why don't you take me with you?" Okay. So it began a lifelong friendship, last 20, 30 years almost now, mm -hmm. uh, and. When I was hitting, I had really a rough time uh, about 10 years ago, and I said to Pear, you know, it kind of matches my mood these days, Pear, uh, what if we got an old rusty car and we drove across the country? And we said, instead of celebrating the interstate system, we say, we need to bring attention to America's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that began the tagline of America's infrastructure is as old and rusty and energy defunct as this car. We found an old car, an old Hudson, another Hudson, because Pear knows Hudson so well. He called mm -hmm. him the Hudson Whisperer. <laughs> he can smell and taste and lick and touch everything. You, and you knows. don't want him licking those, though. <laughs> well, he does. He actually sucks on gasoline lines and whatnot. But anyway, Pear got the car going, and we spent a couple of years getting it ready. Mm -hmm. But her name is Mrs. Martin, named after the woman who owned the car. And we drove it 11,000 miles around the United States, circumnavigating the United States like John Steinbeck did in his book, Travels with Charlie. Mm -hmm. And it, it just it just grew into an epic road trip, as epic you said. Epic is really the word for it. it you know, six months, 11,000 miles, 800 gallons of gas, 
But it was a very serious message. We, we, we were, Pear was supporting me, but we were saying uh, throughout the United States, we stopped at schools, town halls, uh, just about every place you can, anyone who would have us. And, and the message was always the same. But what I was blown away by was that people got it. You know, yeah. before we finished our little tagline about America's infrastructure being as old and rusty as this car, people were shaking their heads like, no kidding. Right. Let's get on with the fix. What is the fix? And I thought to myself, my God, I got to be even more of an advocate than just uh, a town crier. Now, tell me about a couple of the stops that you made on the trip that really stood out to you. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure there were so many. It's a I broad know. question. We, we, we started, you know, I started out in, in Connecticut. I, I went to Sharon, Connecticut. Uh, the Housatonic River has been completely polluted by yes. General Electric's plant. Yes. You can't fish for, for bass and eat them without worrying about mercury from light bulb factory. So that, you know, that's, that's a super fun site. So that's hazardous waste. That's one of the categories. Mm. West Point, uh, because that's where the, the American engineers were, be, they, they began. They were the first engineers in America were trained at West Point. Went out to Pennsylvania with bridges. We went out to Ohio and through the, the Rust Belt in Detroit. It was remarkable. In Wisconsin, came to a small town, Black River Falls. The whole town walks to the dam you know, category of infrastructure, dams, mm-hmm. and pays their power bill, the grid, another category of infrastructure, at the dam. Like that's, they, 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 really? they've raised money, about $11 million. They rebuilt their old dam that was decrepit. Huh. Now they have a much more efficient dam. Mm-hmm. And it was such a, a wake-up call to me about how close people are to their infrastructure and maybe not even aware of it. How many times did Mrs. Martin break down on the road? Countless. Pair yeah. <laughs> no had his idea. work out for him. Oh my God! And that's another thing, though. It's like you know, broken infrastructure is a burden on all of us, yeah. right? So this this was uh, like method acting, broken infrastructure, <laughs> driving this car around. You had to stop and put clutch fluid in and water, and you know, it just requires so much work to drive an old car. It requires that much work for us to live with old infrastructure. Absolutely. All right, WBZ 1225, the numbers. If you want to call in, talk to Dan McNichol, 617-254-1030, We are talking about infrastructure and, you know, not just roads and bridges, but, you know, we all deal with problems with roads and bridges here in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, we've got plenty of problems of our own, and you, Dan, have actually worked on the Big Dig you know well, I'm sure, very sure how well uh, what people have to say about the Big Dig. So give us a quick kind of overview of what you did for the Big Dig. I, I was a spokesperson for the Big Dig. I was working in Washington. I worked on, on transportation policy. I came up and just ended up being one of the spokespeople for the project. My, my fascination, though, Nicole, was the brick and the mortar, the steel, the engineering. Mm-hmm. I got farther and farther away from the politics and closer to the r- remarkable civil engineering and it, it was my job to go out and talk to Discovery Channel, History Channel, Learning Channel, the, you know, Fortune Magazine, people doing uh, in-depth pieces on the project. Now, this was the most expensive highway project in U.S. history. I'm seeing $24.3 billion. That's not a cheap project. And, you know, people still today ask, you know, was it worth it? Oh, my God. Can you imagine the city without it? I mean, I remember the central artery right? very well. <laughs> the, 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 the green monster, yeah. the, it blocked off the city. And, and Boston is a city built upon its its water. It's, mm-hmm. it's a city built in, in, on around the harbor. The, the, the Big Dig really did more to bring Boston back to its original design uh-huh. than it did, I think, to, to, to change the, the face of Boston. Except, though, that 
if you hadn't built the big dig, there would be no seaport. There would be no injection of, of high tech. There, you, 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 we wouldn't have the investment going on in Boston and the excitement that we have going on in Boston if that project had not been done. True. But, you know, of course, we're struggling with cost overruns here. There were mistakes left and right, that deadly ceiling collapse. So people, you know, they see both sides. And the problem is we still have the traffic. The traffic's still there. It's just underground now. Yeah. Well, Fred Salvucci, the man who's really most responsible for designing the, the project and, and putting it together and, and getting it through Congress for with, with the budget back in the 1980s, you know, he all along wanted to get rid of the highway. The When you say it was the most expensive highway project— I have to think that's true. It, it, it was a highway project, but it was mm-hmm. it was really about transit. It was really about the city. It was really about parks and open space. It was really about reconnecting Boston to the waterfront. Mm-hmm. It was really about helping East Boston along so that it wouldn't be inundated with yet another major highway. Right. It was already being overtaken by the airport. So it brought a lot of the traffic going to the airport right to the airport. And it kind of, I think, set Boston up, East Boston up for the development boom that it's going through right now. Well, for better or worse, you know, because I we have we have the seaport and we talk about climate change. I call it the inundation district sometimes because every time, you know, we have a major storm, the seaport's flooding. So, yes, we've set ourselves up at this point for major change in these areas. But at what cost? Uh, may I use that? I like that. The You're welcome to it. Inundation <laughs> district where, where, dumpsters are, <laughs> where dumpsers are floating down the, the street during a high tide. Yeah. And, and, yeah well, that, that's just it. And and and. I think people in the last few years, I would say especially, are starting to look at climate change and now our seaport district differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big dig, I think, delivered, but we need to go to the next next generation of improvements, which will be definitely be about how do we push back that 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 sea rise or how do we deal with those surges. Mm-hmm. All right, 1229 here on WBZ. We're going to check the news in just about a minute. But if you want to call in, we've got open lines right now. Dan McNichol, best-selling author of several books, including uh, The Big Dig, Paving the Way, Asphalt in America. Again, we're going to get to that because I'm very, very curious about <laughs> asphalt. Uh, the Roads That Built America, The Incredible Story of the U.S. Infrastructure System. He was also a former White House appointee when it comes to transportation and infrastructure. We have to talk about that still. Uh, Dan took this amazing, epic road trip. And he circumnavigated the country, trying to bring awareness to America's infrastructure issues. If you've got questions on roads and bridges, this man is the man to talk to. And even not just roads and bridges. We're talking schools. We're talking rivers. Uh, we're talking every piece of in- infrastructure you could possibly think of. Numbers here, 617-254-1030. 617-254-1030 or 888-929-1030. It's Nicole Davis filling in for Bradley J. And he is over in Italy. He's going to be back on Tuesday night. I'm here with Dan McNichol. Again, the number's here, 617-254-1030, All right, Dan, we have one minute, really, really quick. So, and I know this is going to be a hard question to answer in under a minute. If you could have changed one thing about the Big Dig, what would you have changed? Um, more, more transparency, more honesty. Okay. There was a period there where uh, the, the public was misled about the costs, about the overruns, about designs. And it was shameful. I'm here right now with Dan McNichol. He is a best-selling author, guru on infrastructure, I think I'd like to call you, if that's okay I'll, I'll with take you. it. I like that. Yeah, you know, it's it, it flows. I mean, you, you've written several books about it, uh, especially about the Big Dig. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, you know, you took this amazing road trip around the country, uh, circumnavigated the country, trying to bring awareness to problems with American infrastructure. And we were talking about this earlier, how, you know, the American Society of Eng- Civil Engineers— 
say that 10 times fast, has given the nation a D plus because we're really struggling when it comes to our infrastructure. And again, it's not just the bridges that are crumbling. It's not just the potholy roads. We're talking our schools that are falling apart. We're talking about the River Charles that's got pollution in it. We're talking about, you know, uh, the South Coast where they're doing the dredging. I mean, there's so much involved in this struggle to get our infrastructure back where it needs to be. It's, it's, we have, it's an embarrassment of riches. We are a very wealthy nation. We have remarkable systems. Mm-hmm. But and we, at the opening of the show, we talked about this. It, it's, it's imperative. We're at an inflection point right now as a country. I'm certain of it. If we don't invest now, uh, we're, we're going to fall woefully behind. And that's just not about competition, but that is about leading. And when, when I think of leading now, today... I think of leading the climate change initiative. Uh, I think it's that. I think it's it's really a do or die moment for us, and I believe that we will do it. But it's painful to watch, Nicole. It's it's slow. It is it's painfully slow, and we are a divided country. So that really concerns me. Okay, I can understand that. All right, we actually have a caller. Believe it or not. All right, so Harvey in Rhode Island, you're on with Dan McNichol. Hi, Harvey. Good morning, Nicole and Dan. Dan, I have a question for you. I know back in the 30s and 40s, particularly during the Roosevelt administration, they had the Civilian Conservation Court and the Works, yeah, the WPA, the Works Progress Administration. I'm wondering, could something like that be brought back to help with some of the rebuilding of the infrastructure in this country? Or do you think the unions and the politicians would get involved and it wouldn't go anywhere? Uh, Harvey, I think that's an excellent question. And I was so hopeful for something like that during the Obama administration when he talked about the New Deal and and starting uh, to seriously look at our infrastructure and invest in it, and it never happened. What I find interesting is the WPA and the other alphabets that that were formed around that time in the 1930s, that Mm -hmm. that was uh, almost all around road building. I think almost half of all the people employed during during the Depression by the U.S. government were employed in, in building roads. And some of them were into the national parks, like uh, you know the Sunshine Highway up in Glacier National Park, uh, mm-hmm. epic roads along the Pacific Coast Highway. But I do think there could be something like that. And, I, and I'm thinking, what a, what a wonderful way to remobilize troops that are coming back from Afghanistan yeah. and Iraq and all over the world. Uh, and, and I think, to your point too, we need to look at this urgently. And that had that feel. The WPA was created to pull us out of the darkest period of our of our economic lives uh, as a country. I think it'd be really, really spot on to to bring that kind of training and that kind of intensity around the kind of work that we're going to need to do. And plus, with the training that's required for that type of work, it would be a lifetime skill. Because let's face it, we're going to keep needing to have people repair roads and bridges and everything else. And plus, I'm down in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and the state beach not far from where I live was initially built by the WPA. There's some wonderful projects, aren't there, Harvey, out there yeah. that the WPA did? And that's what I mean. I think I think that we have to change everything, basically. And when, when you have that kind of a demand on a nation, it's going to require the mobilization of a large force. And the U.S. government, I, I think what would be different is the U.S. government probably wouldn't employ them directly like they did back then. I think mm-hmm. what we'd probably see is funding for companies to staff up and to take the initiative from the U.S. government and then go off and do the work. I'm also wondering if the unions might be a stumbling block. 
Wow, the unions. They, they, they make it hard, and they, they are there for a good reason. Um, I honestly believe that, that unions, if, if, if we didn't have unions setting the standard and defending the worker, union and non-union workers benefit from the unions that, that organize and raise the, the bar for the, what, what, is, what is accepted, minimum acceptance of a, of, a, of a work environment. And that means safety, that means pay, that means break time and all those good things. But yeah, I, I, I think the unions need to look at themselves and say, do we want to be a, a force for good here or are we going to stay entrenched and, and hold out for more pay? And I hope that they say, we want to help train, we want to get involved, we want to uh, be, be that, that force in the future. All right, thanks for calling, Harvey. You're welcome. All right, so Harvey from Rhode Island, our first caller tonight, 1241 here on WBZ. If you want to call in, talk to Dan McNichol. This is a pretty fantastic opportunity to talk to somebody who knows the ins and outs of Massachusetts infrastructure, really our nation's infrastructure. He has seen it firsthand. Took his 49, Hudson? Right? Mrs. Martin's a 49. 1949. Yeah. So a 70-year-old car <laughs> took it around the country. My two-year-old car probably couldn't even make it around the country. So if you want to give him a call, talk to him about really any sort of infrastructure issue you can think of. 617-254-1030-888-929-1030. So, so Dan, let's get back to the big dig. So we were talking about that a little bit. You were a spokesperson That's right. for the big dig. Uh, you know, the project, I don't want to say highway projects. You were right. It is an engineering marvel really, in a way. I mean, you had to build this tunnel going under the city while traffic was still going on the central artery. You had the creation of the I-90 connector. And I was doing some research on this. The soil, you know, I mean, half of Boston's built on landfill, right? So the soil, they had to bring in refrigerators to cool this sort of landfill-y sort of substance just to be sure that they could dig through it. I mean, this is incredible stuff. And and they took ideas from the past, because that's actually mm-hmm. an old technique to, to oh. put brine, which is like a saltwater-like solution through the ground, but put it at a temperatures that well below freezing, mm. so it would freeze the ground. They used that for mining in Germany early on in the 1800s, but, I mean, this is the largest use of ground freezing at the time, and they froze the ground right behind South Station so they could jack massive tunnels underneath the railroad tracks as commuters were coming in and as Amtrak trains were coming in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to see the city torn asunder, to see it just ripped apart with cranes everywhere, 5,000 hard hats out there working, uh, a couple thousand engineers. It was, I think, probably the, the most exciting professional moment of my life to see the city uh, just, just, I think, in its glory. Like, it was, sure. what city wouldn't love that kind of investment to be able to change its, its mistakes from the past? Right. And, you know, it does get bad mouth. The project does, you know, and... We're here all these years later, 13 years and change, actually, to be exact. And we talked a little bit ago about how the traffic is still there. The traffic is underground. Uh, The neighborhoods have been reconnected, though. So we hear a lot about um, big dig debt when it comes to the T. Can you kind of expand a little bit on that? You know, some people say, look, you know, the big dig wasn't directly meant to be for the T. Other people say the T is struggling because the money from the big dig was supposed to go to the T. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, the the big dig was that giant sucking sound that Ross Perot talked about, about when he was talking about <laughs> NAFTA. You know, all the western parts of the United, of, of Massachusetts suffered because a lot of that investment money to match the federal funding came from Western Mass and was, was invested in the inside of 128. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because the, the, all these other cities and towns really lost out and they're still catching up from that lost investment 
during those big dig years, we were spending three and a half million dollars a day. And in that kind of a payroll, that kind of an investment, you do lose sight of the work that really still needed to be done out in rural mass. The the T, the T got an infusion of uh, of investment. The the T did well through the big dig. It's just sad that the T didn't keep investing in itself the way the big dig invested in it. They expanded the blue line platform so longer trains could get to the airport. They improved, well, they built the Silver Line, the first addition to the MBTA transit system. It's not a train, but it was an actual line, and a new line hadn't been added for almost 100 years. And on and on, these investments went into the project from federal monies, but they went into the, the transit system, they went into commuter rail, they went into pedestrian access, they went into improving surface roads. It, it was a remarkable investment in the entire city. All right, Dan McNichol, best-selling author and infrastructure uh, infrastructure advocate. It's twelve forty-five. We'll be back in about three minutes here on WBZ. Jay talking. What are you talking about, Bradley Jay? I'm stepping out with my Bradley. Got Jay talking on all night. Jay talking. Lock ten thirty on the Bradley BZ Radio. All right. WBZ News Radio ten thirty. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you put the radio on? Sure. I'm coming up to talk. He wants to talk. Let's see what he has to say. Let's turn into a radio show. It's a beautiful night. Oh, night. I love this place at night. Jay talking with Bradley Jay. There's no wrong in him. WBZ News Radio 1030. 1249 here on WBZ. Bradley J out tonight. Nicole Davis in with you. And we are, or rather I, <laughs> there's only, well, there's we in the studio. I've got Dan McNichol with me. He is a author, best-selling author, an infrastructure advocate, uh, drove all around the country, took a really quite epic road trip. I keep saying epic, but it really is kind of one that I'd love to do. And it's 1949 Hudson. Uh, we actually have a caller. So let's go right now to Bill in Boston. Hi, Bill. You're on Jay Talking. Hi. You know, as a small boat owner... I don't see that in Boston that we have any rights or anyone really sticking us up for us for small boats. In fact, a bridge was built about five years ago, and they only wanted to put the, the bridge about four feet above the water level at high tide, so we couldn't bring our boats under the bridge. The only one that stuck up for us was the United States Coast Guard, and they said that uh, it's their responsibility to keep the waterways open. And now I don't know where we can park anywhere near the waterfront. So uh, small boats are practically banned from uh, use of the waterfront in Boston here. Hmm. Well, Dan, what do you have to say about that? What do you think? Bill, I feel your pain. I have a small boat as well. I have a, a Boston Whitehall. It's over behind the parking crab, and I'm lucky to have gotten a slip there. But you're right. Uh, the, the the harbor is really walled off. It's really difficult if you don't have a 300-foot yacht to find someone who will, will berth you. But which bridge are you talking about, Bill? Well, I'm talking about the uh, the bridge on uh, uh, L Street there, Summer Street, 
across mm. from the old Edison plant, basically. Oh, okay, sure, right on. Yeah. You know, yeah. no one would help us uh, raise the bridge at all, and we had to go to the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard came down and they ordered the city of Boston and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to raise the bridge up so we could get our small boats under there. Well, I've been trying to save the old Northern Avenue Bridge, you know, that beautiful swinging bridge yes. over by the Barking Crab, and the U.S. Right. Coast Guard, were, they were critical in helping us bring the, the city to the table and have a discussion about what, what could be. Uh, instead of having it hauled off and tor- torn apart over in East Boston, they said, no, no, right. this is historically significant. Let's, let's take a hard right. look well, at we it. Well, we know that that bridge was named after the, uh, the wife of a former late congressman, and I don't think he wanted that changed. And I think that congressman was on some kind of a appropriation bill for the Coast Guard, so they really didn't have any cho- choice. Well, Joe Moakley was That's a very powerful congressman, right. And Evelyn Moakley, his wife, is uh, she's the namesake for the bridge, the big concrete bridge next to it. And the yes, old Northern right. Avenue Bridge is a beautiful piece of infrastructure. Yeah. It could be a high line of Boston. It could be swinging. Absolutely. It could be a beautiful way to bring people to the Seaport District. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Bill, give people access to the waterfront with small craft. Yes. There should be some kind of stickers or something on the cars be available so that people can use the waterfront for small boats and fishing. I mean, that is a port of Boston. It's known around the world. Well, it's blocked off like that, you know. I, I agree. And that's, that's Bill, it's, you know, it's, you're hitting on a really key point because here we are in Boston and we're talking about this big highway project called the Big Dig, but Boston really began with the presidential road, you know, that na- that famous shipping channel that brings traffic into and out of Boston. Boston was known as a port. Boston was bigger than New York City until the Erie Canal was built, another big piece of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The New York City was, was lagging behind us, and our port really made us famous. And the port led to rail, and rail led to roads, and it's a fascinating layer, all these layers of infrastructure that come with Boston's history. An onion, it's crazy. <laughs> it is an onion. It's exactly that. And you peel back the layers one by one. Yeah. All right, Bill, thanks for calling in. Thank you. All right, so it's 12.53. And yeah, we've had some great conversations tonight about infrastructure. But we, I feel like, Dan, we haven't touched on the fact that, you know, in Massachusetts, we've got our own significant problems Uh, You know, the ASCE, we were talking about that earlier, the Society of Civil Engineers. I mean, they say 30 percent of our roads are in poor shape. They say a majority of our bridges crumbling and struggling. What's happening on Beacon Hill? How are we trying to fix this? Uh, Sadly, not much is happening on Beacon Hill regarding the fix. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're we're lacking that vision that that was, I think, the big dig. Uh, The the city of Boston moved into the next generation of cities, world-class cities, when it completed that project. And I'm I'm hopeful that we'll get there again, but the lack of investment is is frightening. At this point, Nicole, mm-hmm. Boston is succeeding at almost every level, but traffic is what's nightmare. what's killing us. And yeah. traffic is what's going to inhibit our growth. It's going to inhibit the pursuit of happiness if you want to look at it in a grand way. Sure. But specifically we're going to lose business to other very hot markets like Seattle, mm-hmm. Phoenix even. We're all over up and down the West Coast, uh, all along the United States. There's, there are pockets of tech that are taking off. And if we don't act quickly, we're going to lose that. I was talking with um, historian David Crew. He wrote that book, Building uh, Route 128. And he said it really well. He said, you know, we've become a victim of our own success. 
if you think about it around here. Yeah, but, but you know, we have this great legacy of leading. We have this great legacy of putting out initiatives and the rest of the country, sometimes the world following us. Mm -hmm. And I think we're at that inflection point. We have a decrepit rail system. I, I think we absolutely must improve regional rail. Sure. That's just an, it's, a, it's a must. It's a non-starter. I mean, exactly. you have to. Exactly. And when you look at what contributes the most carbon to the climate, it's, it's transportation. About 43% in, in Massachusetts comes from transportation. Mm -hmm. We're running diesel all up and down the, the commuter rail lines. Mm -hmm. uh, when those trains are sold, Nicole, they're going to go to third world countries mm -hmm. because they're the only ones buying diesel today. Uh, we, we are acting like a third world country in our development. We, we, we're, we're going around the edges and we're doing repairs and maintenance, not even. So let's talk about what's next for you. So we've talked about what's going on on Beacon Hill. What is going on with you as an infrastructure advocate? We've talked about all this, but what are you working on right now? Well, thanks, thanks for asking. I, I am with, with one other person. We're two guys, as we joke. Uh, David Westerling, he's a professor and at Merrimack College. Mm -hmm. he, David and I are launching a, an initiative called New England Plan. It's modeled after the Regional Plan Association, RPA of New York, that came around about 100 years ago to take on congestion issues. And if you can imagine back then, mm -hmm. getting across the Hudson River was the challenge. They sure. built the famous George Washington Bridge, now the busiest bridge in the world. Mm -hmm. And they went on, Regional Plan Association went on to help Fill that gap, and I, I see it as a black hole up here in Massachusetts, between what's possible, the vision, and what's being done. And in that black hole lives government, lives business, lives the public. And what we will hope to do is shine light into that and bring around a lot of deep analysis around what's possible. And then once once we get a consensus, once we feel like we know what is going to be the right fix, go out and advocate for that fix. And we're going to call it New England Plan, NEP. Okay. And the idea is just to bring a lot of clarity, a lot of concise, accurate information around these mega projects that need to be built all around New England. Mm -hmm. Because New England is heating up faster than any other part in the country. Rhode Island is the fastest warming state in the United States with the exception of Alaska. No kidding. Yeah, and then right behind Rhode Island are the, all the other six New England states, five New England states. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, quickly, because I promised, we've got about one minute left, the paving book, the asphalt book. <laughs> what is that all about? How do you write a 300-page book on asphalt? My great-grandfather my great <laughs> laid asphalt over cobblestones in, in Pennsylvania, and I've always been fascinated by road building. Yeah. And that's just it. And after I wrote the, the Big Dig and The Roads Built America, I was asked by the National Asphalt Pavement Association to write a book huh. about asphalt, and I thought, who else would want to do this but me? And <laughs> it, it turned out to be a remarkable experience. So it became really about a, a history of roads. And when I started writing about the Roman roads, the, my publisher at the time was just out of her mind. She's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a book about asphalt. <laughs> but to appreciate asphalt, you have to know what came before it. And these thick, cumbersome, very expensive, burdensome on taxpayers as well as the workers. Sure. And then asphalt really changed our world, changed it. Remarkably, uh, so much so that people, uh, you, you, the Industrial Revolution was launched along the Macadam Road, which mm -hmm. they call Tarmac, uh, Macadam and then Tar, Tarmac, and that is what really, really sped us into the Industrial Revolution.
Who'd have thought? Well, if you want to read more about Dan's foray into asphalt, <laughs> it's called Paving the Way. <laughs> asphalt in America. Dan McNichol, a best-selling author and infrastructure advocate. We have 20 seconds. Uh, social media handles if people want to follow you. Oh, well, thanks. I, I, I like Instagram these days. And yeah. I'm on Instagram. It's Dan McNichol. Okay. And I try to uh, try to infuse uh, a little messaging and, and some beauty. And uh, my website, always mm-hmm. uh, danmcnichol.com. All right. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.